meets us right where we're at. I don't know where you've been or where you're from. I hope the thing that you realize is that nobody in this room has their stuff together. <laughs> I mean, literally, like, all of us came cruising in here like, you know, a, a demolition derby, really. Like, we need God to do something huge in our hearts and our lives, and I'm, I'm thankful that uh, he's moving, that he's speaking, and he speaks through the worship. So can we uh, give the Lord some praise and thank Jimmy and the team for always faithfully leading? And that is uh, one of my favorite things, is how the Holy Spirit moves through the worship here uh, at this church. Um, if you don't know me, that's fine. Uh, my name is Matt. Uh, I, I used to be a pastor here. In fact, that's what, all my, that's what all my business card is, used to be a pastor at the sanctuary. <laughs> it's good to be back. It's good to be home. I mean, it's, it's awesome walking through the doors and, and getting to hug your necks and hear your stories and, and uh, hear how God is moving um, and how he's speaking to you. Uh, and I pray that he's already done an amazing work in your heart as you've uh, entered into worship. And I, I pray that he's ministered, ministered to your soul. In fact, I mean, sitting there, I'm thinking, man, I could do this all day long. Just singing his praise. What huge words, right? That uh, from the Psalms, I sought the Lord and he answered me. The way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, right? This is the Lord who can do all these amazing things. And he hears us and not only hears us, but responds to us in our need. That's the God that we're pursuing today. Um, we are continuing in uh, Proverbs. Pastor Joe and Mindy are out today. Uh, I think they were on vacation. I, I pray that their time has been amazing and restful, and I pray that you guys are lifting them up in prayer as well. Um, but we're in this series called Foolproof, um, and, and the idea is that we would glean wisdom from the Proverbs that would help us as we uh, fight foolishness and move into maturity that we would know wisdom intimately and that we would move from saying yes and indulging to sin to, to saying yes and indulging in the Lord and what he has for us. I think Pastor Joe said this the first week of the series, uh, but we have to understand that all of this wisdom that's coming through the Proverbs, it's ultimately about Jesus. It's all about him. Whenever we, we see wisdom kind of personified and, and that it's pursuing us and calling out to us, it's talking about Jesus Christ being that one who's calling to us. Embrace me, follow me, take me close to yourself so that you can walk this life uh, in a holy manner. Um, and, and so we read through the Proverbs, we study through the Proverbs, asking the Lord uh, to help us submit ourselves to his sanctifying work in our heart, in our lives, and that we would be more conformed to his image. The idea is that we would walk out of here looking more like Jesus than when we walked in. And that day after day after day, as we dive into his word, um, that we would be molded uh, into men, into women, into young people who reflect that glory of God. We are going to be in Proverbs chapter 7 today, um, but before we get into our time, uh, I think we have a video clip uh, that will help illustrate um, what we're going to be talking about. Uh, for some of you, this is going to be kind of the hair of the dog that bit you, uh, coming from uh, July 4th, uh, Stranger Things clip. So uh, Beth, would you throw that up on the screen for me, please?
told you to keep quiet. All you had to do was stay still for one minute. One minute. Sorry, Yertle. Temporary eviction, buddy. What are you, little guy? What were you doing in my trash? You hungry? You get. Go on. Eat. Too hot? Sorry about that little guy. You like nougat too, huh? You're pretty cute, you know that? I'm glad I found you. <laughs> D'Artagnan. I'm gonna call you D'Artagnan. I don't know if you've seen Stranger Things, if you plan on watching Stranger Things, this is your opportunity to do the earmuffs thing if you don't want any spoilers. This is from season two. I don't feel too bad about spoiling it for you because it was a year and a half ago that it came out. But uh, Dustin, uh, the character on the screen, captures this strange creature unlike anything he has ever seen before, and it's, it's like hiding in his trash can. So he, he captures it, uh, he determines it's a, a polywog or a, a tadpole kind of creature, um, and he shows his friends this, this little thing that he's uh, named D'Artagnan, Dart for short. And his friends see it, um, they kind of freak out because they, uh, they, they sense that this thing is evil um, and that it's from the underworld, and they're saying, we have to destroy it. And uh, in a daring escape, uh, Dart uh, gets away from uh, all of these, his, Dustin's friends who are trying to kill him, um, and later he is found uh, by Dustin, and Dustin takes him and hides him and keeps him from his friends. They don't know that he's uh, recaptured this creature, uh, and he brings it home and nourishes it. Uh, he protects this little thing. What Dustin doesn't know is that Dart is no polywog, but he is rather a young demogorgon. Uh, a demogorgon is a demon prince from the underworld, or here, the upside down. Um, and coincidentally, this is the same type of creature uh, that only a year earlier had captured his best friend Will and carried him down uh, to the upside down. So as he feeds this creature, and he's feeding it with candy that he's got while he's trick-or-treating, um, this creature grows, and it grows exponentially faster than Dustin ever could have possibly imagined. 
Dustin realizes that he's made a huge mistake when he comes home after school one day, looks at the terrarium where Yertle once dwelt, and sees the front busted open, and Dart is no longer in the cage. He begins to search for this creature, and he finds him feeding on the family cat, Muse. Big mistake, right? So he devises this plan, and he says, we've got to kill Dart uh, because Dart is evil. And so he enlists the help of his older friend, Steve, uh, to dispatch this little guy. Um, but before they can kill him, uh, he once again escapes, and he joins up uh, with hundreds of other Demogorgons. Um, and, and we start out this whole story with Dustin finding this, in his words, cute little thing that he then nourishes, that he feeds, that he helps it grow. He cultivates this creature. Um, ultimately, it's a creature that's meant to kill humans and wreak havoc on an entire town. So what's the point? The point is that much like Dustin, we will find our temptation, we will find our sin, and in, in its infancy, it might even appear to be cute to us. So we take it, we bring it home, we nourish it, we feed it, we help it to grow. It's ultimately gonna grow into something that's gonna destroy us, destroy us. Um, so uh, we have to understand that, that, that sin, when we bring it close, when we nourish it, it will grow out of control and it will wreak havoc, not only on our hearts and on our lives, but on the lives of those around us. And this is why we need the wisdom from Proverbs. This is why we need Jesus Christ. Because every one of us will begin to cultivate our sin and embrace temptation like Dustin did with this Demogorgon. And the damage is further reaching than we could possibly even imagine. So as we dive into Proverbs 7, uh, the thing I want you to remember, don't be like Dustin. Don't cultivate this little creature that's going to grow up to ultimately destroy you. Recognize temptation in its infancy uh, and avoid it like the plague. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 7. We will have it up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. It's on page 312, 312, um, if you're following along, and I think we'll have it up on the screen as well. But I'm going to read through it uh, very quickly, and then we will uh, move into talking about it. My son... Keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice. And I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute and wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, in every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. 
I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him, and with her smooth talk, she compels him. At all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Now listen, there's going to be a temptation here for us to read this passage and then just dismiss it. We're going to be tempted to dismiss it because we're going to look at this and say, well, I don't wrestle with this kind of sexual sin. I, I don't wrestle with that particular nuance of, of what this guy is going through. Obviously, this, this is for the young men in the crowd who can't contain themselves, can't control themselves, that are driven by their flesh. And we're going to reject what the Lord has for us in this passage because we can't move past what the particular nuance of this guy's temptation is. What I would say is, is fight that. Fight that temptation to say, okay, well, this has nothing to say to me. Um, uh, there is always something in God's word that he's wanting to speak personally and intimately into your heart about what's going on in your life and your relationship with him. So um, that being said, um, we're going to pray in a moment, and I want you to ask the Lord, what, what is that kind of tripping point for me? What, what is that hot button for me? It may not be this adulteress that's uh, wandering the streets. What is it? What, what is my adulteress? What is my adulterer? What, what is the, the temptation, the, the temptress or whatever that, that is consistently finding me on my heels and responding to? So, so we're going to pray before we get started. Um, and I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. First, I'm going to ask you if you'd pray for me, uh, that the Lord would speak through me. Um, that he would get me out of the way. And if anything would come from my mouth that is not of him, that he would strike it before it comes out. And if it does, that it would blow away like chaff in the wind. That's the first thing I want you to pray for. The second thing is for yourselves. As, as we walk through God's word, what is he saying to you? And how are you going to respond? So let's, let's take a moment and do that now. If you would, please pray for me. Now pray for yourselves. Ask the Lord to speak into your heart, your soul. Uncover those deep, dark places that are hidden. Father, this is uh, about you and your glory. Pray that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts. 
Help us to be equipped to walk in wisdom and not embrace foolishness. We love you, we praise you, and we commit this time to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we begin to pick apart Proverbs 7, uh, I've got kind of seven themes uh, that I've seen that are running through this chapter, and we're going to begin to attack those uh, one at a time. And, and we're going to start, actually, in verse 6. We're going to come back to verses 1 to 5. Um, but, but the first point is this. Temptation is closer than you think. Look at verse 6. It says that, uh, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice. So he, this, the, the author, Solomon, he is able to look out his window... And he's able to observe everything that's going on that we just read about that we're going to continue to dig into. See, the opportunity for sin in Solomon's day was literally on the other side of his curtains. She, the, there's this adulterous woman that he's writing about. It's not hidden away in some dank alley somewhere. Uh, she's not lurking in the shadows somewhere. She's out in full view uh, for everyone to see. And Solomon uh, is, is observing this first hand. And I, I think for us, we will have this tendency to view our sin, to view our temptation as though it is some kind of nebulous thing that's hiding off in the shadows somewhere, that is kind of constantly waiting to surprise us, to jump out and go, ah, gotcha, right? Um, the reality is um, that this adulterous uh, like the adulteress in the story, our sin, our temptation is a neighbor that we are well acquainted with. She's not hiding in some dark recess somewhere. She's not hiding in some shadows. Our, our temptation isn't uh, lurking out there unknown to us completely, um, but rather is dwelling continuously at our fingertips. And you look at how we've uh, structured our lives and how we've invited this temptation into our homes in many ways. We have uh, internet access in our homes with this uh, instant and free access to pornography, uh, mindless shopping on Amazon because we can't miss a good deal, endless comparison between ourselves and others on social media, which, by the way, their lives are portrayed through the filter that they choose, and we're looking and measuring ourselves against them, binging on Netflix because of that nifty autoplay the next episode, feature. And next thing we know, we've watched an entire ep uh, season of Stranger Things in one day. Temptation is in our fridge, in our pantry, in our cars, in our beds, in our expectations, in our words, in our parenting styles, and in our politics. We refuse to face temptation head on, so it's left to run unchecked through our hearts and through our homes. And as a result, our children go, grow up thinking that this bondage to this temptation is normal. And what happens when a child grows up in that environment? They do the exact same thing. Perhaps it's subconscious that we ignore this temptation, this tempter, this temptress, whatever it is, whoever it might be. Um, I think we have to work pretty hard to ignore it because as I say, ignorance is bliss, right? The reality is, the reality is, is that we love our adulteress. We love this adulterer. We love this thing uh, that is tripping us up. Nobody, nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to admit that. 
But if you look at John 3.19, Jesus himself is talking about the fact that we love the darkness rather than the light. So we have to understand this, this temptation, this, this thing that we are giving ourselves to, we, we deep down in our flesh, we love it. And so kind of starting off the, the message today, um, what we need to do is we need to unmask this uh, adulterous, this temptation, this uh, thing in our lives that we, we kind of have lurking in the shadows somewhere and, and, and name it um, so that we can live with purpose and live with uh, uh, a guard about who we are. The, the author um, is able to walk in wisdom, discretion, and vigilance because he knows her. He knows this adulteress. This is, uh, as I was reading this, it's kind of purely conjecture. But I'm reading the words of this man, and he's talking to his son about this woman. And I started wondering, I was like, how, how does he know so much about her and her ways? And for a moment, I was like, perhaps he's fallen prey to her before himself. Purely conjecture, that's just me. Maybe he's observed all this from other young men that he's watched kind of follow her astray. Um, but to me, it does sound like this voice of experience saying, I've walked this path to some degree. Don't follow this because it's going to lead you to bad places. But here's the thing, starting off, and here's what I love about this. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what you've given yourself to, the Lord can use you to speak wisdom into the lives of those around you. Not only that, but he has grace to cover that sin and that brokenness. That like the balm of Gilead would soak into your soul and that you would know that no matter what has happened in your past, Jesus embraces you and loves you and cleanses you, redeems you, restores you, renews you. Come on, let's just keep going, right? So yes, temptation is closer than we think. And yes, we have allowed temptation to come into our homes and into our hearts in many ways. But here's the truth. Jesus Christ is closer. We must keep this as our perspective as we uh, continue to pursue this life of wisdom and walking in victory over our tempta temptation. The second point is this. A lack of discipline will lead you closer to danger rather than away from it. A lack of dis discipline will lead you closer to danger or towards danger. Look at verses 7 to 9. Uh, it says, uh, So I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the, uh, along the street near her corner, corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight and the evening at the time of night and darkness. So this, the text says that this guy is lacking sense. Um, what, what, what that meant is that he is kind of devoid uh, of any kind of self-awareness or self-understanding. He doesn't understand how his own heart works. He doesn't understand how his own temptation works. He doesn't understand how the world works around him. One commentator would call him feather-brained. He is a young man who has no grasp on how he's wired. He's driven primarily by fleshly, worldly desires uh, and impulse, not by wisdom. Now, here's the reality. Again, we will look at this guy and we say, oh, that guy's kind of an idiot. He's a knucklehead. 
every one of us has some measure of this guy dwelling right here. This girl, whoever you are, right? There is some measure of that in our hearts. We are lacking sense in some ways. We still do not fully understand how we work. I don't care how old and how wise you are. If you're still here on this planet, the sanctification process is not done. So there is a measure of this man dwelling inside of you. I I liken it to the uh, idea of riding a bike. All right, when you first start riding a bike, um, you're really wobbly. Uh, You're going to fall down a whole lot. um, But eventually, you begin to get more stable. But here's the deal. You're not immune from falling off your bike, even if you've been riding bikes for years and years and years. There's going to be moments of falling and failure. As you grow, yes, you fall less, but that doesn't mean that you're immune to this. Um, so, So going back to this guy, how do we know that he's lacking sense? Well, look at what the author said. He's passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house at night. (laughs) It does not take a genius to figure out that this is a uh, half-baked idea at best. I had a mentor who once told me, nothing good ever happened after midnight. And he told me, if it's with a girl, nothing good ever happened after 10 o'clock. So it's this idea that he is kind of, you know, walking towards this thing that is just dangerous. Uh, It's a little bit like when I'll look out the back door and I'll see my children doing something like trying to stand on a ball. (laughs) I don't know, maybe y'all's kids don't do that. Uh, Mine do, like, all the time, even after they've learned, if they haven't learned, but um, we all know that that's a bad idea. Why? Well, we either can look at that and say, oh, that's a bad idea, or we've tried it. Guilty. Um, And we know that when you stand on a basketball or soccer ball or some sort of ball, it's going to end with a busted coconut. That's what I tell my kids. You gotta bust your coconut. Um... It's a bad idea. So this guy, here he is. He is out late. He is wandering the streets on the stomping ground of a woman who is uh, widely known to be a loose woman. And, and intentionally or otherwise, he is wandering closer and closer to danger, not away from it. So I read this inside. It's like that, the bad horror movies, right? Where you see the character going towards the, the scene, like the, the guy's lurking on the other side of the curtain or whatever. And you're like, no, don't go in there. That's what I do when I'm reading this passage. I'm going, no, 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 buddy, turn around, turn around. Uh, we, we see it so clearly here. We see what this guy is about to get into, but lest we condemn him and give ourselves a hall pass, uh, remember that we do the same thing. Maybe not the same way, again, but we do the same type of deal. We creep to the edge to have a closer look. We get just close enough to where we can say, oh, no, 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 I'm I'm not going to sin. I'm just kind of peeking, right? Just, hey, what's going on over here? The problem is that when we arrive to get that close, it begins to draw us in. The third point is that sin, temptation, is relentless. Get verses 10 through uh, the first half of 13. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. 
love how this verse opens up. Behold, as if this is like a shocking moment for the, for the author. He's like, hey, well, there she is. He's out wandering around where he shouldn't be, and just like that, she appears. This is no accident. Uh, the woman is looking for him, as we will see later in the text. Um, she's looking for him, and she's dressed to kill. She's ready for action. Says that she is wily of heart. We don't use that phrase much. Uh, it means kind of she's guarded in her heart. She's not going to tell him her motives or what she's trying to do. So th there's this kind of uh, hidden agenda that she's wanting to cover up. Uh, so she's wily of heart. She's loud. She's wayward. She's always on the move looking for the best spot to hunt her prey. This is what we find. This imagery for me, uh, at the verse, end of verse 12, it says that she lies in wait. It reminds me of, of a, 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 a predator, like a lionweight predator, also called an ambush predator. Uh, something like a stonefish or a praying mantis, maybe. Uh, it's this uh, idea that these creatures don't rely on, on strength or speed to like chase down their prey. That they will lie in wait and they will wait for their prey to come close. Uh, and when the prey gets close enough, that predator strikes and is able to take the prey down. See, as long as, as the prey stays far enough away from this ambush predator, it's perfectly safe. It will not fall victim to this. She behaves exactly like an ambush predator. So uh, she, verse 12, she's lying in wait. Verse 13, what does she do? She seizes him. Like, this is this active, like, I am reaching out. I'm going to grab this person. Um, but instead of devouring him like a praying mantis or a stonefish or some other lionweight predator, what does she do? This is really, really interesting. She kisses him. Why? Why would she kiss him? Why is it the first thing uh, that she does? It's because it is the first, well, a part of her well orchestrated plan to draw him in. So why kissing? Kissing will actually release those feel-good hormones, uh, the oxytocin, the, the serotonin, uh, and uh, dopamine. So uh, initially it's like that boost of like, oh, that feels good. And then the other thing that it does is it reduces cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Additionally, uh, when two people kiss, it, it kind of creates this like bond between them that's kind of deeper than words. Uh, so uh, feel-good hormones are lifted, stress hormones are pulled back, a bond is promoted between these two, and any defenses that this guy may have had are systematically dismantled. And instead of being alarmed by what is going on here, uh, he is drawn more deeply and more fully into her trap. So do you see the progression here? She catches his gaze. He looks at her. Um, she makes physical contact. And then she figures out to, how to use his own body and his own body, bodily chemistry against him so that she can work her will. So what do we do with this? We need to understand that our temptation, the, the temptation that we are going to long for and pursue is going to be custom fit for us. And it's not fighting a one-front war. It's going to attack from all sides. 
So this young man gets to this place, his defenses are down. If we get to this place in our temptation, our defenses will be down. Uh, we will then look at this temptation, look at this sin, and then we will figure out ways how to justify it and even baptize it to believe that it's from the Lord. And that's the, the fourth point here. Temptation will try to convince you that it's of God, that it's of the Lord. Give second half of, uh, or 13 to 15. Uh, so she kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you and seek you eagerly, and I have found you. While I was reading this last week, I got to that part, and I was like, this is a really strange interacting interaction. So this guy, he's out kind of wandering near a street corner. Behold, this woman shows up. She grabs him. She kisses him. And the first thing out of her mouth is, I just came from church. <laughs> I was like, what on earth is that all about? That is so weird. I thought about it. I was like, what is she doing? She's trying to convince him that she's a good, godly person. I do what I need to do. I was at church. I was giving sacrifices like any good religious person would do. I paid my vows. Just did that. She goes to church, right? She's trustworthy. So this young man, again, is drawn further and further into her trap. I'm going to jump on a soapbox here for a minute. Young people, refugees, sanctus students. There is going to be a temptation in your heart and in your life to pursue the wrong things, particularly as it relates to relationships. I cannot tell you how many times I've had conversations with young people, some of them are in this room right now, who have started relationships with people, and this idea of where they are with Jesus just doesn't even come around. They've gone on several dates, and I'll inevitably ask the question, hey, can you tell me a little bit about their walk with Christ? Uh, wh what does it look like for them to love Jesus well? And they'll go, um, well, she goes to church. His dad is an elder. She said Jesus Christ on our date. Never mind, it was when she stubbed her toe. And I'm going, no, no, you're getting drummed into this trap. Just because somebody can speak a little bit of Christianese, just because somebody says, yes, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, doesn't mean that they actually do. This is a part of this woman's plan to drum this guy further and further into her trap. So young people, understand this. The guy that you're looking for is the one that will love Jesus infinitely more than he'll love you. Amen. Young men, the woman that you're looking for is the one that will love Jesus exponentially, infinitely more than she's going to love you. Okay, I'll step off my soapbox. <laughs> Temptation will fool us into thinking that we are about to indulge in something that's from God. We think, well, if this is what the Lord has put in front of me, in my path, he's obviously okay with me doing it. At best, at best, it's biblical acrobatics and proof texting to justify what we're going to do. And at worst, it's Satan's well-crafted plan to draw you away from the Lord and into his trap. And here's the deal. This has been going on since the beginning. Remember Genesis chapter 3? 
Look at Genesis chapter 3, right? Um, You have Adam and Eve. They are uh, uh, unrestricted access to the Lord, face-to-face with God. Um, And what happens? The serpent, which, by the way, a lion-weight predator, an ambush predator, is hanging out, catches Eve's gaze. They begin to discuss spiritual things. He takes God's word, he twists it, he makes her believe that God is not really good, that he doesn't want her best, and what does she do? She indulges, she takes a bite, and she gives it to her husband who was with her also, and he ate. All started with, did God actually say See, she's moved towards a temptation. She is seized by the cunning of the serpent. She engages in that spiritual conversation and ultimately walks away from the Lord. So this adulteress here is trying to convince this guy that this encounter is not only not bad, it's good, and it's from the Lord, that this guy will end up helping her in her spiritual walk. See, the sacrifice that she gave was a peace offering, and when, when they did that, they would get some of the meat back that had to be consumed or burned within the day. And so what she's doing is she's saying, hey, I made this sacrifice, and now I've got to enjoy this meal with somebody. I've got this hot meal at home, um, and I've been looking for you. And with this in mind, he's thinking, well, my sister in Christ went through all that trouble. <laughs> Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. You know, she, she was looking for me. She did just go to church. She's got this hot meal at home that she slaved over. And again, more and more, he's drawn in. She isn't finished. She has to put the icing on the cake. It's the fifth point. Sin on the surface will be attractive. Sin on the surface will be attractive. Verses 16 to 21, listen to this. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. She's an essential oils person, right? Just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) I'm going to get accosted after church. Take that, there's some myrrh and aloe and cinnamon for you. (laughs) Cammie likes essential oils. (laughs) Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full noon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With smooth talk, she compels him. So as we read this, uh, what he's being enticed towards is something that he would desire. Something that he's going, oh, that, that sounds pretty good. Again, he's a young man, all hopped up on hormones, being given the opportunity to have a nice meal in a nice house with nice furnishings that smells nice with a woman who's willing to fulfill every radical desire that he could possibly ever want. And guess what? No one's going to know. My husband's gone. He's not going to be back for a while. We can do whatever we want to do. And from a surface level, from his perspective as a young man, this looks like an incredible opportunity. And this is how it's going to look for you and for me as well. See, when our temptation, when our temptress or tempter comes and approaches and grabs our attention, it's not going to point us towards something that we would categorically reject. It's going to be something that we're already prone to desire. It's going to be something that we would already long for. So she would not come to me, this my temptress, would not come to me and say, hey, here's a boatload of drugs. What do you think? 
uh, no, thank you. See, I would reject that without a second thought. But what if, what if she came to me and she says, look, look at what you could accomplish. Look at what you could do. Look at what you could get done. Look at the influence that you could have and the power that you would gain. If you were to do this, your productivity would go through the roof. Or she'd come to me and she'd say, you know what, just so you know, that person was wrong. And you know what? You should, you should probably tell them. And when you do that, you can cover that and you can, you can take your list of things that you have wrong with them and, and deal with all that at once. But I know that's a lot of pressure. If you don't want to do that, you can just think about it a whole lot. Over and over, think about what you would have said. Or, you know, you could talk to some people about it. You could build a following of people who don't like that person. See, those are the, those are the things that will begin to draw my heart. And I'm like, ooh, I'll take a second look at that. That's two of like a thousand for me. So in her well-coordinated plan, look at what she's done. She has appealed to all five senses of this guy. She gets his sight with how she's dressed. She gets his hearing with how loud and seductive her speech is. She gets his touch by seizing him. She gets his taste through her kiss and presumably the possibility of a hot meal. She gets his smell with these exotic incenses. See, when we are met with temptation, do not be surprised when it looks good, it sounds good, it feels good, it tastes good, and it smells good. Don't be surprised. In fact, we need to expect this. We need to expect that our temptation is going to be like this. We need to understand this because just because all of our senses say, yes, this is good, does not mean that it is. Which is why we need that sixth sense the sixth sense that is wisdom from the Holy Spirit, that when all of our senses give us a green light on this temptation, it would step in and say, no, that's not good, it's bad, don't walk, run. Get away. Why do we need this wisdom? Because if we do not have it, the results are disastrous. Sixth point, embracing sin always, always causes death. Read verses 22 to 23 and then 26 to 27. It says, All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. For many a victim she has, uh, has she laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a way to Sheol going down to the chambers of death. So the adulteress here has accomplished her plan um, and the scene changes dramatically. It reminds me like, of like a dream. Right? Have you ever been in a dream and you're, you're dreaming you're one place and all of a sudden it's like, boom, where am I? I'm somewhere else. This is the scene that I picture here. It goes from looking really, really good to really, really bad. When we embrace our temptation, when we embrace sin, the end result is always the same. Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death. Sin always brings death. For the Christ follower, that death comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. For those that are not in Christ, that comes through their own bearing of their sin for eternity and punishment. 
So how do we keep from repeating the mistakes of this foolish young man in Proverbs 7? I'm so glad you asked. Seventh point. Keeping oneself from temptation. Verses 1 to 5 and then 24 to 25. Um, And then we're going to wrap up and close. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. And then uh, 24 to 25, and now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. So what is he saying? He's saying that we need to have an intentional plan. I always say that nobody plans to screw their life up. People screw their lives up because they don't have a plan not to. So what do we do? We cherish Christ and his word above everything else. He is better than even the best things in your life. Look at all these these, uh, action words here that he's talking talking about, right? Treasure my commandments. Keep my commandments. This is the thing. Be a person of action. Treasure Christ. Show him that you love him more than anything else. Uh, Keep my teachings. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on your heart call wisdom your sister and your intimate friend. Listen to me. Be attentive. Don't turn your hearts aside. See, it's all these action steps uh, of like this. Do not turn to look at the adulteress. We could take it to to our illustration. Don't be like Dustin to let your curiosity draw you closer to that thing that's ultimately going to destroy you. And then the the third thing on this kind of plan is stay as close to the Lord as you can. I think my favorite verse in this whole chapter is the second part of verse 2 where it says, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Again, we would kind of drum past this part because we, we don't get it. It's from an old, this English translation is from an old Hebrew idiom that says the little man in your eye. Um, so keep my teaching as the little man in your eye. Have you ever been so close to somebody that you can see your reflection in their eyeball. This is the picture that the Lord is painting for us. That, that the things that we cherish, what do we do with the things that we cherish? We draw, draw them close. We get, get them as close as we possibly can. And so what is this text telling us to do? This text is a picture of how the Lord wants us to be walking as it relates to him. That we would be so close to the Lord that his reflection would appear in our eyeballs. And it talks a lot about his word. Here's what, believer, here's what you need to be doing. You need to have your nose in his word often. That as you draw this wisdom in, as you draw more of the spirit of Christ into your heart, you would walk in holiness. Here's the deal. After this, we're going to close. When you're looking so intently at the Lord, who is better than anything in your life, by the way, even the good things, it is impossible for that temptation, for that adulteress to grab our sight because our gaze is locked on him. It's impossible for her to whisper into our ears because the Lord is singing loudly over us. It's impossible for her to arrest our touch when we're resting comfortably in the arms of the Father. It's impossible for her to lure our taste 
when we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And it's impossible for her to draw our nose and our sense of smell because we have the breath of God flowing through our lungs. Listen, I don't don't know where you are today. Again, if the adulteress, the adulterer has been one that you have kind of been constantly running to, the Lord is better. And you may be sitting here and thinking, you know what, I've never embraced Christ like this. I've never gotten so close to him that his image is reflected in my eyes. I don't know him in that way. He can set you free from the things that you think no one can set you free from. In fact, nobody can except for Christ. And so my exhortation to you is that you would say, I'm done living on my own. I'm done doing it my own way. I want to turn myself over to Christ, that I would gain this wisdom, that I would gain the wisdom that would keep me from being ignorant and feather-brained as it relates to my sin and my temptation. And I would drink Christ in deeply, that I would have the wisdom of God poured into my soul. And if that's you, you don't need me or anybody else. Just talk to the Lord. Say, God, I I need that. I need you because I can't do it myself. Father, I pray for that person in this room that doesn't know you. That you would arrest their heart. That you would pull them from the clutches of their temptation. That as they have strayed so far down that road, the way of her corner, and she has appeared, behold, she's met them. Or that you would rescue them. You're a God who chases after us. So redeem that person in here and help them to walk in the way of wisdom. Lord, for the Christ follower in here that has perpetually walked away from you, which, by the way, that's all of us, I pray that we would never stray too far from your loving arms. pray that we would never seek fulfillment in things that could never fulfill us. But when we do... I pray that your grace, your mercy, and your love would draw us back. So Lord, speak to us and help us to reflect you, reflect your word. May you be the little man in our eyes. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.